The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place, but you already know that. The buzz today, it's the law. My goodness, listen up. Welcome to the era of true business innovation. You all know it's happening around you. You listen to the news. You read magazines and articles. You're probably reading a lot online. Well, breakthrough technologies have matured, enabling five defining tech trends. I don't know if this is good cocktail party talk, but I think you're all going to listen in a business context. Number one, hyperconnectivity. You're probably no stranger to that term. Mobility. Who isn't? Cloud computing. Come on, you know what that is by now. Outcome-based engagements. We might have to explain that one. And cybersecurity, a big issue today. All of this comes with the global digital economy. Well, we're talking about the law. And when I said it's the law, I meant law firms. That's right. So we're speaking specifically today to those of you who are the owners, the founders, participants in hoping to get into law firms. If you know anything about a law firm, you might be interested in how it's all working behind the scenes. So the question on the table for those of you who have a law firm or work for a law firm is, can your law firm's current business model survive with clients who are now demanding? And the key word here is demanding. They're not just waiting in line. They want it now. They want greater transparency. They want visibility into what you're doing. They want collaboration. They want flexibility. They want responsiveness. And perhaps greatest of all, they want a consistent experience with your law firm. A lot on the table here, a lot to talk about. We have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this out. So even if you're not in the field of law, stick around. I think you'll find this very interesting. And by the way, this is part of our special series called Digital Industries Changing the Game Radio. There you are. So... My first speaker up today is Ahmed Shaban. He's a founding member of Fulcrum Global Technologies. I'm going to spell his last name in case you want to Google him, S-H-A-A-B-A-N. And Ahmed has sent me an interesting quote from John Chambers, who's the former CEO of Cisco. Very interesting. I'm going to just throw out a little trivia here. You might all be scratching your heads and say, what? First, I'll tell you that John Chambers holds a Bachelor's of Science, Bachelor's of Arts degree, combined degree in business, and a law degree from West Virginia University, and an MBA in finance and management from the Kelly School of Business, Indiana University. And he went to the School of Engineering at Duke. Okay. And he started at IBM when he was 27 years old and moved on to Wang Laboratories. Huge bio on this guy. But what's most interesting is that he was diagnosed at age six with dyslexia uh-huh, and learned to cope with the help of a therapist. So there is hope out there. Here is the quote 
40% of businesses in this room, he said this when he was speaking, 40% of businesses in this room, unfortunately, will not exist in a meaningful way in 10 years. 70% of companies will attempt to go digital, but only 30% of those will succeed. If I'm not making you sweat, I should be. Ahmad Shaban at Fulcrum Global Technologies. How are you, Ahmed? I'm doing okay. Thank you, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. Love the quote from John Chambers. Did you know he was dyslexic at the age six? I had no idea. Can you imagine with all that he's learned, Ahmed, the, the degrees I mentioned, the years and years of school and learning and reading that it took to accomplish these educational milestones and all of the wonderful roles he's had? Interesting. Uh, kind of shocking, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually no surprise that he was able to uh, wiggle his way around a lot of obstacles in life, considering he had to do that in order to learn as much as he did with dyslexia. I agree. Very interesting. Now, he's certainly a role model in so many ways. And to kids who think, well, I have a disadvantage here, a learning disability, I won't say get over it. I'll say figure out a way to get around it. So tell me, Ahmed, are you a big fan of John Chambers? And why did you pick this quote for our show today about law firms and the digital economy? What does this have to do with our topic? You know, I, I am a fan, and uh, for a number of reasons, of which you just named several. I mean, just anybody with that kind of an achievement profile and, and doing what he's done while staying on the, the right side of things has been uh, very impressive and, and certainly something to admire. The reason I love this quote is uh, it just it goes against so much of the institutional knowledge that existed. You know, if, if, I, can, if I can share with you, Mm-hmm. It was it was institutional knowledge that four out of every five startups would fail within five years. I mean, that's just been a legendary statement for as long as anybody's been in business. And now what we're seeing is that six to seven out of every ten of the existing well-established businesses are failing to manage the roller coaster of the digital economy. They're not able to keep their business relevant anymore. And as a result, they're failing as a whole. And And, you know, when you look at that and you see that at the beginning of the show, you just mentioned how, you know, there's... There's an, an awful lot of trend and change and, and challenge that's going on with the digital economy and, and law firms. You know, clients are demanding so much. They're demanding different ways of life. They're demanding transparency, flow. They're be, all becoming global because now it's so easy to do business globally, especially if you're technologically savvy. And, you know, there's a, a, an incredible alignment that exists between that and being able to manage your business. And if you look at how a company's alignment between its strategic plan to meet its goal and its facilities and resources to do so, I mean, Mm -hmm. I call this commercial strategic velocity, their ability to be able to manage against their change. That is a very impactful activity. And and ironically, that's why startups today can do it. If you see startups today, they're not no longer the ones that are failing. They're the ones that are proliferating and they're coming out of nowhere. If you don't believe me, take a look at what happened to Motorola. Take a look at what's happening with the Google car and some other things there at Tesla, they just they come out of nowhere because they don't have this institutionalized behavior. They don't, they're more mm-hmm. prepared to deal with the digital economy. And so I think you, what you're going to see in law firms and what you're seeing now is that the ones that are going through mergers and acquisitions and consolidation that are kind of hitting reset and being able to manage against this kind of change, they're the ones that are actually able to survive and, and proliferate. And if you go look at the top 10 now and look at the top 10 10 years ago, I mean, seven out of every ten, they're all different. And it goes all the way down, the next ten, the next ten. So, to me, this is a very impactful quote. I love it. It's, it pretty much says it like it is. If you can't keep up, you're not going to be able to make it happen. 
Thank you, Ahmed. Great, great introduction to our topic. I think what's interesting to me here mostly is that we're thinking of law firms in terms of not only digital, but global. And we'll get into that later in the show. So thank you and welcome. Delighted to have you on board. And let's turn to our second panelist. He is Ari Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N, the principal of Ari Kaplan Advisors. And Ari has sent me a quote from Mark Allen. It's the first time we've had Mark Allen mentioned on Game Changers. Mark Allen is a six-time Ironman world champion. He was born in 1958. He's the second six-time Ironman triathlon world champion ever. He graduated from UC San Diego, where he was an all-American swimmer, and he had a degree in biology. There is a lesson for all you out there. You don't have to just major in sports. You can have a serious major as well and get a real degree. There you go. Uh, Let me just read a little trivia here. His sixth Ironman victory was in 1995 at the age of 37. He also excelled at the Olympic distance, winning the sport's inaugural world championships in 1989 in Avignon, France, by more than one Minute, minute. He was undefeated in 10 trips to the Nice International Championships and had a winning streak of 20 races from 1988 to 1990. And in case you've never heard of him, look up an old edition from 1997 of Outside Magazine, which tabbed him the world's fittest man. Aha, there you go. And here's the quote from Mark Allen. Until you face your fears, you don't move to the other side where you find the power. Ari Kaplan, how are you today? I'm very well, and I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you so much. Well, I'm equally honored to have you on the show, and thank you very much. And let's do a quick shout-out to my colleague at SAP, Ginger Shimp, who is is, uh, listening on the line, and Ginger put together this stellar panel. We haven't even finished introducing the panel, so Ginger, thank you so far doing great. Ari, talk to me. Are you a big follower of Mark Allen, and, and are you a triathlete as well, Ari? Uh, yes, I am, although it's taken me a long time to make that admission because I wasn't sure what you had to achieve to call yourself a triathlete. When I was a kid, I was a lifeguard on the beach in, in Queens, New York for six summers, and I'd always dreamed of doing the Ironman, and you would watch Mark Allen on TV, and I actually have done two now, one last summer in Canada and one a couple of years ago in, in Lake Placid, New York, and I love this quote because it it's sort of connected to lots of things in life, you know, this idea of, of facing your fears, and, and only, only when you do that, only when you overcome them, do you find the power. But I love it also because it reminds me of triathlon. When I was doing the Ironman last summer, uh, there was a gentleman who was on the recap video, and he was running, and I remember passing him, and I remember someone asked him, you know, how do you feel? And he was obviously really tired at the end of the marathon portion, and he said, how do I feel? I feel alive perfectly alive Mm. and it was a really powerful moment but this quote is sort of also connected to the legal industry you know i have i have had the really the opportunity to be studying legal as an analyst for many years now i practice law for nearly nine years and you see a lot of change happening in the industry and some you know i've made a really really interesting point about some firms taking a forward a forward-looking view and merging or, or, or developing technology and some waiting. And so those who are waiting are still not you know, fa- quite facing those fears, and those who do it really uh, become, uh, you know, just more, they just start to realize all of the benefits and the power that's available to them. Very interesting. Ari, while you were talking, I realized I could not off the top of my head name the events in the triathlon. So with your permission, can I just read a little background on that? I think our listeners will enjoy it. 
Sure. Okay? An Ironman triathlon is one of a series of long-distance triathlon races organized by the World Triathlon Corporation, WTC, a subsidiary of the Chinese Wanda Group. I didn't know that either. Consisting of a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile, that's right, 112-mile bicycle race, and a marathon 26.2-mile run raced in that order and without a break. There were three events. I'd correct myself. Try is three, Bonnie. I'll remember that. It is widely considered one of the most difficult one-day sporting events in the world. They have a strict time limit of 17 hours to complete the race. Typically starts 7 a.m. The swim is cut off 2.4 miles at 9.20 a.m. That's two hours and 20 minutes. Did you do all this? Really, Ari? I did. I did, and I have to tell you that it's wonderful. Like people do it. You know, I did it the first time to see if I could do it. I did it the second time because I love it. So I think that there's something to it that that people don't appreciate if they don't get to do it. Wow. Well, I'm living my triathlon this week because I think I'm doing uh, eight radio shows. That's my tri- live radio. That's my no. It's a five live radio shows, two TV shows, and teaching three classes. This is my multiple triathlon, and that's about as as active as I'm going to get. But Ari, you certainly have inspired me. And thanks for the great quote from Mark Allen. Good to have you on board. And now I'd like to introduce our third panelist. She is Patrice Capello. Look her up. It's C A P P E L L O. She is the North America industry lead for the professional services industry at SAP. Patrice has sent me a wonderful quote from Brian Solis, S-O-L-I-S, or Solis, as some of you might say who liked to watch Desperate Housewives years ago. There were the Solises. Yes, we remember who they were. Uh, Brian Solis is a principal analyst studying disruptive technology and its impact on business at the Altimeter Group. I think we've had somebody from Altimeter on the show a couple of years ago. He publishes annual industry reports that track technology and business trends and offers change management direction to companies. And let me just tell you that Brian Solis's blog is ranked as a top 10 ad age power 150 blog. He's the author of Engage! Exclamation point, the complete guide for brands and businesses to build, cultivate, and measure success in the new web, published in 2011. Then he wrote The End of Business as Usual. That should be interesting later that year. And the quote Patrice has sent me is from his 2013 book, What's the Future of Business? Changing the Way Businesses Create Experiences. Now, let me read the quote. Over 40% of the companies that were at the top of the Fortune 500 in 2000 were no longer there in 2010, following on our original quote. Patrice, welcome. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you, Bonnie. How are you? Thanks. I'm great. Thanks for joining us. I love these statistics. So, are you a big follower of Brian Solis? Talk to me how you found the quote. Well, I, you know, what's interesting is I saw this change happening in business and accelerating over the years, and I'm lucky enough to consult with leadership from different size and type firms from all over, and when I read Brian's book, What is the Future of Business?, it was like he was taking the experiences I was having around these conversations and putting them into print, and much more Mm. articulately than I, I probably ever could, but in reading his book, um, the, this quote, the over 40% of the companies um, that were in Fortune 500 in 2000 were not there in 2010, I found that fact astounding. And I think standing alone by itself really provides a lot of insight into what the speed of change in which we're all dealing with and how it's increasing um, to a rate like which we've never seen before. And you know, we grew up, I think, you know, the terms where companies 
you know, moved to the top slowly and stayed there and stayed there and stayed there and were lucky to be part of Fortune 500 for decades. And you can see now many of those companies aren't even there anymore. And so I really think it speaks to traditional business models and the old way of doing things isn't going to be what gets you there tomorrow or keeps you in that slot that you're lucky enough to have today. So I love it. It's the sort of conversations I'm having with folks. Um, when I go into these different firms and different businesses. And one other thing that Brian talks about um, is how irrelevance is accelerating. And so mm-hmm. much like what Ahmed said, and we didn't even you know, pick the, the similar quotes um, right. prior to the show, but it, the message is the same. It's impactful. And if companies don't um, really address the external pressures that are forcing change in these firms, then they will quickly be irrelevant. So I think the, the conversation is going to be fascinating today, and I thought that that quote set it up nicely from my experience out there in the professional services sector. I agree. Bravo. And I have a question for all three of you. All you know from the prep call, I'm going to ask you next, what are you drinking? And that's our what's in your cup today segment. But I have a question for all three of you. Let me circle back to Ahmed Shaban for a second. Ahmed, Do you think law firms get this? Now, now let's take the landscape. This small local law firm that will never be global, does not want to be, will not have those kind of clients. The one that's doing local events and maybe writing a blog every couple of weeks and uh, is looking for customers, for clients at local speaking events. The one that they just, do they need to know all of this that we're talking about today? Quick yes or no answer, Ahmed. I just want to circle through the panel. Who is this for? Who knows about this disruption? Ahmed? So this is definitely something they need to know. I would say that some of the smaller law firms, especially the boutiques that are, you know, in a niche play that are more of a lifestyle business, a three, four, five partner firm, they may not need to concern themselves as much right away. I mean, they they may basically live there, make their name off their brand. They make their name Mm -hmm. off of their, you know, one or two key clients. I mean, that can obviously be disrupted immediately, but, you know, if they're a niche, if they're a specialty player, that's fine. Where this is really the most necessary is these mid-sized law firms, these very large global firms, the the proliferation of the global firms. This is desperately needed information. And no, I would tell you the majority of them don't get it. It's not necessarily all their fault. I mean, you know, in every other industry, usually there's training for executives and management around you get MBAs or you get you know, business experience and mm-hmm. things like that, that that give you that. In most of the firms and legacy firms, you know, it's the, it's the escalation of partners. It's lawyers that are doing it and, and nothing against them. But, you know, as you start to try to keep up with this uh, t- uh, onslaught of technological change and and financial demands that are coming from, you know, best practices of their clients in terms of supply chain, financial control, segregation of duties. These all become foreign concepts, just not the way a firm is run. And so they desperately need this information so they can keep up. Thank you very much. Ari Kaplan, love your POV on the same question. Who needs this? Who knows about this? Well, it's interesting. There's been a rapid shift to the point where anybody who doesn't know about it is falling behind. And part of the reason is the clients are driving this change. The technology is available to everyone at all price points, at all sizes, in all practice areas, in every single region. And many of these organizations are applying it, they're testing it, they're piloting it. It's, it's, it's really quite an extraordinary transformation that will really take hold almost on a global basis in, in very short order. Okay, thank you very much. And what about the small local niche firm? Do they need to know all of this? 
Now or later? Absolutely. They are, they are learning about it as we speak. They are engaging in it, and there are many, many technology providers that are targeting that population. So there are different technology providers that try to target different sizes of uh, the law firm. I had mentioned the mid-size, the large firm, and then you have mm-hmm. these small or solo uh, practices where mm-hmm. there's technology available to them, and they recognize that there's a shift, and if they don't adapt, they will fail. Thank you very much, Patrice Capello. Love to get your two cents, your ten cents, your dollars worth. What do you think? Yeah, I, I do think it's um, across the board important for firms of all sizes to understand all of these external forces because, you know, even for the small niche players, boutique firms, um, there's always going to be someone that can come all, along overnight and do it faster, better, cheaper. Um, and, and much like Brian Solis points out, it's really about the user experience. So it's about, you know, how you operate as a firm and, and what your, um, you know, what your client's experience is like dealing with your firm. So I think, you know, as Ahmed said, on the mid to large size firms, I mean, this is a problem they have to address now. And they have to start building agility into their organizations. But I do think smaller firms have to address it as well. And I also, I don't think that it's technology that's driving the change. It's enabling the change. Um, but consumers of the, their legal services are smarter, more demanding, and their expectations are high. And if they don't like the way you deliver your services, they will just go on to the next firm. Um, so this whole global economy and the interconnectedness of everybody makes it makes that available as a consumer of those services to do overnight. So I do think it's imperative that all levels of firms understand this and, and really understand how they can adopt it into their firm um, to be agile. Thank you. That's what I was looking for, and that's what I was hoping the three of you would say. Thank you all. And now we're going to get to our little beverage storytelling segment. I'm Ed Shabon. Where are you calling from? What are you drinking right now, or what would you rather be drinking? Tell us a story. I am calling you from Chicago today. I'm in one of the few seldom days in my office. Um, I'm rarely here. I'm usually, I tell everybody my zip code is 747 dash something because I'm always on an airplane. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm happy to be in the office and, and, uh, and do this call from, from here. Uh, actually, uh, what I'm drinking, what's in my cup today. I, um, I'm a, a big fan of managing stress and, and working out and I try to do that every morning. And as a result, I always try to have a nice healthy dose of protein. Um, I was never a big coffee drinker. For for those of you out there who want to teach your kids how to stay away from coffee when they're growing up, just let them try it now because it tastes terrible when you're little. <laughs> My mom gave it to me when I was nine years old. I hated it, and I never went back to it. So I've always been kind of a tea drinker, if anything, and um, I actually have here Isopure uh, black tea with lemon, uh, pure protein, and it's, uh, it's the cup I drink every morning. So I absolutely enjoy it. And if I'm not drinking that, the only other thing I and I think it's pow- water. I think it's powering that beautiful smile I have in your picture you sent me. Thank you very much, Ahmed. Good to hear from you, Ari Kaplan. Where where is thou call from? Where is thou calling? And art thou calling? And what art thou drinking? I am calling today from my home office in New Jersey, and I'm I'm very excited that I share something in common with someone as prominent as Ahmed. But I'm also drinking a cup of tea. Mine, however, is green. I lived in. Japan for a year. I taught English in a, a public high school in Kobe and uh, sort of developed, acquired a taste for green tea. So I'm uh, drinking green tea out of a mug that my 10-year-old daughter made for me in 
summer camp. It's sort of a weirdish blue, and it has a nice heart on it, although all of it is a little bit off. Uh, because it's a handmade mm-hmm. cup, so I, I like to I like to think of it like my life as perfectly imperfect, and so um, that's what I'm drinking today. I think that's a John Legend song dedicated to his wife, Christy, isn't it, Christy Teigen? I think you're perfectly imperfect. There's a song about something about how much he loves her. Do you know the song, Ari? It's it just. Popped up I in don't, my head. but I use that. I use that. That's actually a theme I talk about in my book with respect to, you know, not like living your life, but with respect to growing your business or raising your profile. That sometimes things work, sometimes things don't. But uh, you have to sort of craft this this lifestyle of perfect imperfection so that you try things and see what works and what's uh, suited best suited for you. I uh, thank you very much, and I'm going to look that up while we're asking Ms. Patrice Capello, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking today? I am calling from um, outside of Boston in the suburbs, a town called Westford, Massachusetts, and um, mm-hmm. I'm drinking tea as well. Strangely, all three of your guests are, <laughs> but um, I am from a big, crazy Irish family. My four grandparents came over from Ireland, and Tea was the drink of choice at any gathering, morning, noon, or night. Um, that was what was served, and certainly could have heard any one of my four grandparents at any point in time saying that, you know, darling, there's nothing like a good cup of tea to solve all your problems. So it's a comfort <laughs> for me, <laughs> and I drink it out of the same mug when I'm not traveling. I travel a lot um, as well, but when I'm home, I have my favorite teacup and I've been known to even turn the dishwasher on with only a few items in there at night oh. just so my mug is clean for the morning. Oh, <laughs> how no. Well, we learned a lot about you. By the way, Ari, the song is called All of Me, and the lyric I'm thinking of that popped right into my head is, Cause all of me loves all of you, loves your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me, I give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. That's the lyric. Go look it up. All of me by John Legend. It's a gorgeous song. So Ari, without referencing it, you referenced it. And thank you very much. I think our young listeners around the world will appreciate that. I sure hope they do. Guess what? I'm drinking cool, clear water from a Brita filter. Nothing fancy, nothing schmancy with a pink straw because as Ari knows, he's in New Jersey. I'm on the North Shore of Long Island, New York. Uh, There's not much sunshine out today. I think we're sharing the same, approximately same weather system. So I'm optimistic that we'll get sun and that's what the pink straw is for. So we are talking today about professional services, specifically law firms. How can you thrive? I'm going to preface that with how can you survive and thrive in a world of digital disruption. We have three experts today on the panel. We have Ahmed Shaban, a founding member of Fulcrum Global Technologies. We have Ari Kaplan, the principal of Ari Kaplan Advisors. And we have Patrice Capello, North America industry lead for the professional services industry at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham here as the host and moderator of Digital Industries Changing the Game Radio presented by SAP. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to deep dive into our roundtable. I think we've already started it informally, but there is so much more. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. 
Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital Industries Changing the Game. And welcome back. You're listening to Digital Industries Changing the Game. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Very pleased and privileged to be here with Ahmed Shaban of Fulcrum Global Technologies, Ari Kaplan at the Ari Kaplan Advisors, and Patrice Capello at SAP. We're ready for our roundtable talking about law firms, how to survive and thrive in a world of digital disruption. It's important. Stick around. Okay, Ahmed, I'm looking at your notes you sent me before the show, and let's start with this statement, and then we'll go around the table briefly, get everybody POV, and then we'll move into somebody else's topics. You say all change in the legal industry is driven by the trends that are outside of legal. This sounds very provocative. Ahmed, why don't you expand this for us, please? Well, this is a really simple logic. If you just go to the, distill it to the core, the holy grail of law firms to law firms or to a law firm partner is their clients. And these clients are the ones that are subjected to their own dynamics and regulation, market trend and pressure, fiscal juggling. Uh, it's it's uh, it's intense. And, and on top of it all, they solve a lot of this with automation and digital economy transformation programs. So a number of them are building substantial in-house legal departments as well, and they're no longer managed by compensation. They actually pull lawyers from law firms, bring them in-house. So now these, these lawyers are no longer managed by eat what you kill and that type of approach. And they want visibility. They want transparency and autonomy and control, and they know what to look for. So since most law firm management programs and finance operations are built around their compensation programs, they're not necessarily prepared to be managed by a supply chain the way the clients are demanding it. So clients are coming from all the other industries. They manage all their supply chains in every other industry, except when it comes to law firms, and now they're demanding to do the same, too. They want these these alternative fee arrangements that are much more standardized. And now, before it used to be the general counsel calls his, his buddy who he went to law school who happens to be a partner in a firm, now the top ten firms, the top ten brands, it's all the same to them. And you have all these partners coming and jumping onto the other side, so they're all looking for multiple firms. It's a completely different ballgame. And, and then the worst part about it is if you take a look at law firm management, most law firm management, they're not trained to run business, as I mentioned earlier. So since they're not trained to run business and they're being managed by their clients, as opposed to the other way around 10, 15, 20 years ago, the, the, the propensity to have this change coming outside of legal is huge. Thank you very much. Ari Kaplan, let's get your POV on this. Agree, disagree. What do you say, Ari? 
I have actually written a book. It's called Reinventing Professional Services, uh, Building Your Business in the Digital Marketplace. So I've spent quite some time studying all of the different professional services and trying to draw a line thematically through it. And I'm a, you know, I'm a really is, is uh, sharing some important information. I mean, the shift of power inside of the corporate law department has been changing for quite some time from the general counsel to his or her director of legal operations to kind of develop more of the business of law to make the law department run more like a business with procurement and other experts that are involved. And at the same time, law firms are recognizing this change, whether they're because they're responding to RFPs or because they, the level of competition is so much stronger or because corporations are whittling down the number of law firms that they're willing to use and add to their panel of preferred providers, but they also are now engaging this remarkably talented pool of individuals who aren't lawyers, who are administrators, who are experts in finance, who are experts in operations. There's an entire industry group, it's called the Association of Legal Administrators, that provides uh, counsel and education for these experts, whereas, you know, in corporations, they also have their own industry groups for this change. So it's a really interesting moment in, uh, in the history of, of legal practice. Very interesting. And Patrice, thoughts on this, please? Yeah, I, I mean, I would totally agree. I, I think that, that all change is coming externally and putting pressure on the firms to change and to react. I think if these external pressures weren't there, firms would just continue to operate as they always have. So it, it is all driven by external change. And, and I think so much of it goes to um, the fact that, that the clients are smarter. And they are more demanding and they're, they're less willing to just continue to pay blindly towards, you know, um, bills that come in against the matter that a firm is managing for them. And they're demanding that the firms share some of the risk with them. So like Ahmed mentioned with the alternative fee arrangements and, um, to, to what Ari was saying too, what I've been seeing in, with firms is a lot of them are bringing in, um, leadership from the commercial side of the business to come in and help the firm run more like a business and less like a law firm. So interesting to see all of these changes occurring and how the firms are responding. But, yes, I 100% agree. Thank you. I'm going to circle back very quickly to Ahmed. Any thoughts on what your co-panelists shared before I move on, Ahmed? No, actually, uh, it's not only do I appreciate their points of view on this and in complete alignment, they actually reminded me of a couple other things, just some fun facts. You know, many, many of the legal departments in clients now are larger than the AMLA 200 listed firms, including the largest firms. And also, many are now hiring counsel to review bills. More than 50% of some of these legal departments spend half or more of their time auditing bills. That's why there's such a proliferation of e-billing and, and the like, and that's why there's such a demand for e-discovery because that becomes very, very painful. So if you look in, at these legal departments, and then the one last thing that, you know, you mentioned mm-hmm. it and Ari mentioned it on professional services, you know, yes. the, the biggest, when I sit with the boardrooms of most of these large law firms and global firms today, they don't talk about each other as the competitors. They talk about the big four accounting firms, the, uh, the banks, the largest engineering firms as their main competitors because those, those firms are all now practicing law one way or another. You see the wealth management groups are all doing all these trusts and wealth planning and engineering firms are now taking on petitions and legal arguments for, 
for real estate uh, and and you know, accounting firms. My goodness, they're all over the place. They're doing the mergers and acquisitions. They have the kind of the point of sale to be able to capture, take advantage of a lot of legal work, and they have thousands of lawyers working for them. So the competition at the professional services level is such that those lines are now blurring. And when you take a look at that, you take a look at the legal department. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with the, the point of view of the other panelists. Thank you very much. Ari Kaplan, you're up next. I found it uh, sounds like a car is coming to a quick stop there. Ari Kaplan, I'm looking at your notes, and here's something I don't think we've talked about yet during the show. Very provocative topic from your notes, Ari. You say social media presents tremendous promise for professionals to engage, understand, and support their clients. How does this, Ari, law firms, professional services firms, and social media, is that, I'm going to ask a question even though I don't usually, is, is there a wall between the two or are they allowed to do that? Talk to us, Ari. What does this all mean? No, absolutely. There are firms across the country, around the world, that are actively engaged in some sort of social media as a result of trying to figure out what are their clients saying? Because their clients, all the big corporations have uh, social media channels. So what are their clients saying? What are people saying about their clients? What's the media saying about particular issues? What is the commentary that's occurring within the profession about trends or changes? And the other reason that they're doing this is not just to stay well informed, but it's to connect more closely with the people that they're serving, you know, to mm-hmm. follow each other on, on Twitter or to connect on LinkedIn or even to be friends on Facebook. It may sound shocking, but whereas Facebook yeah. used to be a place where you'd be friends with just your neighbors or very close you know, close colleagues that you went to high school with or something. Now it's really started to cross a little bit into the professional market so that you might have a client with whom you have a very strong relationship, which is what the goal ultimately is. And maybe then, you know, you're connecting on Facebook, your client knows it's your child's birthday, they wish you have a birthday, or you know the same. It's a really interesting dynamic uh, that has shifted so that ultimately really Really successful professionals don't just do great work. Great work is the benchmark. It's sort of the line that that connects people. What they do is they develop relationships that are so strong, no one would ever think to go anywhere else. You know their business so well. You know their personality. You know what's driving them. You recognize what's so important from a business standpoint and from a personal standpoint that that relationship is really the foundation. The work itself can be done by lots of people. You distinguish yourself by building a relationship on top of the work. Thank you very much. I, I get chills a little bit, not the comfortable, not the oh goodness kind. When you talk about that, thinking of uh, of a, an attorney on Facebook interacting with clients and knowing each other's kids' birthdays and all that, because I'm wondering what the, well, you're in the law, you know, Ari, uh, what are the, the barriers to connecting and to giving free law advice? That's what I'm thinking of. You want to just give yeah, me a well, two-sentence answer? Yeah, we're not talking about giving legal advice. It's not, that's not, that's not what's going on. A client is not saying, hey, by the way, how did the, you know, what should we do about this merger? Should I buy this piece of real estate? Should I take this right. loan? It's purely a connection that now okay. you know. Here, for example, is that LinkedIn will send you an update that says your client wrote an article or someone you're connected to on LinkedIn wrote an article for Corporate Counsel Magazine. And then you can send your client a note that says, hey, I saw your article on Corporate Counsel Magazine. Great article. I'm going to share it with my network, whatever. A client writes back, oh, thanks so much. And it's a, it's a way to Got create it. a conversation that's different from I'm going to sell you something and then I'm going to bill you and you're going to pay me. So it's a relationship structure as opposed to just based on the service that you're providing. 
Thank you. I feel so much better now. Patrice Capello, thoughts on social <laughs> media and ProServe? Because I know, let me just give a little background. I know some people who are, uh, we'll say psychologists or psychotherapists, whatever term they decide to use, and they have very strict guidelines professionally about not participating. Some of them have restrictions on having websites, on being on LinkedIn, on having anything to do with the public. So that was where I was coming from, Ari. I hope I didn't uh, throw it off, but I was just very interested. Patrice, talk to us. What do you think about all this? Well, I, I do agree. You know, when you think about it at the individual attorney level, you do think, oh, wow, how could they use social media with, while still protecting our brand and our intellectual property and, you know, mm-hmm. and not violating any of those restrictions. But if you think about it at the firm level, progressive firms are using social media as a way to do a number of different things. So if you look at it from the perspective of, hey, I want to acquire this new client as part of my book of business, let me see who's got relationships in there that could potentially introduce me to some of the leadership there. So it's taking all of this information that's out there and bringing it into the firm in a way um, to leverage it to potentially sell more work. So it could be through relationships through LinkedIn or an alumni database connected with LinkedIn. I mean, mm-hmm. firm, progressive firms are really smart, and they're thinking, how do I leverage all this information that's out there to help me sell more work um, or, you know, to become more deeply embedded in my client? Um, so I, I think that, you know, and also with all the information that we're collecting inside the firm and what's available outside the firm, how can I bring all this together to create better outcomes for my client. So using things like predictive analytics, so that potentially, you know, advising a client to go in one direction or another, depending on potential outcomes. So when we think of social media, we tend to think about it from our personal side of maybe, you know, my tweets um, or Facebook and how I connect with my friends. But really, there's this whole world growing beyond us that has so much information out there and so much connectivity. How do we harness the power of that, bring it into the firm, and leverage that to be better at what we do? Thank you very much. Let me circle back to Ahmed Shaban. Ahmed, thoughts, social media, law, good, bad, ugly? Oh, no. I mean, it's definitely good. You know, when you think about professional services and legal services, it's it's still the same baseline. It's all about our relationships. It's all about the opinions we have. It's all about the ability to engage. And that's truly what the, the core pull is. And that's why we still have partner structure, despite the, the demand and the proliferation of change by by our clients. It's about our relationships with those clients. And so the bottom line is now, you know, this this uh, social media boom is here to stay. It's, it's, it's now controlling and running a lot of business strategy. And to, it, it is actually behooves a law firm to control their market by engagement before others do. Because if you don't, I mean, these, your clients are surfing the online. They're, they're able to go ahead and, and engage with others who are doing it. And, so, and the reality is we still, all law firms still want to grow and expand the referral base. I mean, it's still word of mouth and it's about successes. And, and as a result, you know, you're now using social media and the power of social media to do that. And we see that in other industries where brands have now have a personality and they're, they have their own first Facebook page, a brand or, or, or a company mm-hmm. or a restaurant. And 
Same here. I mean, you just you want to develop a personality for your firm's brand, and then you want to engage others and, and create that, and and also monitor what outcomes come. Let's say they lose a, a particular lawsuit or win a particular lawsuit. What's the impact of that? How can I parlay and leverage that? So I do agree with you. You know, the you know giving legal advice and, and the and the boundaries and so forth. Um, but to be honest, first of all, in all professional services firms, including law firms. We all give a lot of guidance and advice up front. It's non-billable. You know, I, we have a joke, a running joke, that every law firm has the same largest client, which is the non-billable one. And because they always mm-hmm. write off a bunch of money and time to this anyway, especially up front. So if you're going to do that, the best way to do that is to try to parlay and leverage social media's power to be able to do that and so that the lines are either blurred or not uh, getting too close to, you know, the rules that you have to abide by. And we see this in healthcare. We see this in, in other areas as well. So... I, uh, I absolutely agree with social media. Is, it's all about relationships, and it's, it's all about that power. Thank you. And Ari, while everybody was talking, I just Googled this topic and came up with an interesting article from February 25th, 2013 on Lawyer Lawyernomics, N-O-M-I-C-S. Uh, and the, the article is Facebook for Law Firms. Yes, really. Everyone, including Zuckerberg, is trying to figure out how to put Facebook to work for their businesses, and lawyers are no exception. Uh, and the answer the question is, your business is for your customers. Build relationships with them, reach new people, and drive sales using Facebook. There you go. So uh, anybody looking for more background on that can find a lot. Uh, Ari, any quick uh, comments on what your co-panelists shared? Because I'm ready to move quickly to a new topic. Yeah, I just wanted to say that it's not about the tool. So it's not about social media specifically or technology. It's just, you know, how do you empower your relationships more effectively in a digital market? I'm happy. I have developed actually a, an infographic on this topic about branding. So oh. your listeners are welcome to email me. It's Ari at Ari Kaplan Advisors, and hopefully it'll, it'll provide some, some value for them. Fine. And if, Ari, if it's posted anywhere on the web and, and if you want to share it that way, just uh, let me know and we could put a link into Twitter. If you want to tweet it at hashtag SAP Radio, we'll be glad to get the word out. So I leave that up to you. And now, thank you, Patrice. I'm looking at your notes and here's something I don't think we've talked about yet, or at least not in depth. You say law firms are developing a people strategy focused on finding and retaining the best talent. Historically, firms judged employees on a single criteria. That was ka-ching, 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 how much revenue they brought in. Not surprisingly, clients are demanding the best people be assigned to their specific matters, the right attorney at the right time on the right matter in the right place. So, Patrice, how is the digital economy, tell us, impacting law firms' ability to bring those right people into the firm at the right time in the right place? Well, I think it's about the experience you create and, you know, it, well, first of all, it starts with brand. So you, you want to be a firm where people, lawyers and attorneys want to come and work at your firm. Um, and you need to be able to, um, create a positive experience from the first time. Most often people will interact with a firm if they're looking at the firm digitally. So how is that experience for them? And then as they move through the process of onboarding onto your firm, how are you supporting them and making it easy and the transition as simple and pleasant as possible? And then, you know, really once you're inside the firm, what sort of options does the firm um, offer in terms of advancement, professional development, and so forth? Um, so really technology is enabling firms to automate a lot of those processes and, and really make it a much better experience um, for the firm and for 
the potential new employee or the existing employee. So um, seeing a lot of attention being paid to firms, um, by firms, sorry, around talent management and what is their strategy for attracting and retaining the top talent. So as we said, the end game is really about getting the, the best talent on the matters at the right time for the right client. So we see a lot of investment in firms in that area for the first time. Thank you. Ahmed, talk to us. You agree, disagree? What do you think about law firms finding the oh, right yeah. people? Um, so, so I absolutely agree with Patrice. And actually, Patrice mentioned one piece. She mentioned the, the brand. And, you know, it, that's, it's a great point because, you know, first of all, great talent is absolutely what's necessary. When we're talking about law firms and partners, we're talking about the people that happen to be the salespeople for the company. They happen to be the, the product of the company. They tend to be the collection agency for the company. And they're the owners of the company. So, you know, they're, they're wearing all the hats and, you know, you're best suited in a law firm by having the best of talent in a role like that since it has so many hats and so much critical path value to it. But, you know, it's the perception of that brand. I mean, who is the best? I mean, if we go and start taking a look at some, some, uh, different verticals like uh, criminal defense or, you know, sports uh, agents, you, you, you'll see they have the best brands for sure based on the clients they've represented or the victories they've had and so forth. And they tend to be able to pull a lot more away from others that may be equally talented. So it's the perception and managing the publicity and brand. And I think, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is you want talent management programs in place. You want HR programs in place that can help to optimize and efficiently manage the business and the practice so that those talented folks can make the most because, as we know, there's attorneys are also trying to uh, battle the, the compensation and profitability pressures that are coming on their industry as well. So if you can find ways to do that through technology, through automation, certainly there's some great solutions out there that do that today. And, and I think that that's a, a great program for you know, managing stability in the firm. Bottom line is, when you have great talent, it hedges the risk of the firm in many different regards. And as a result, if you can find systems and programs that allow you to, to manage your talent, you're going to be in a healthier position. So it's a huge trend. Thank you very much. Ari Kaplan, talk to us. There's an interesting collaboration that's taking place in law firms between marketing and talent. So marketing is sort of putting forth this, uh, you know, global idea of what the firm is, what the firm does, what it offers, and how it's distinct. And then there's this talent, you know, this group of talented uh, individuals who are trying to get each individual who works at the organization to... sort of speak about what the brand is, what it means. And so it's an, I actually provide a lot of training at a lot of firms across the country trying to get people to individually connect with their clients, with their prospects, with their colleagues in a way that will enhance the brand overall but enhance each, each individual so that collectively they really raise the profile of the organization. Thank you very much. And guess what? I'm looking at the clock. We have just enough time left. Great topics, everyone. Thank you so much for your great notes. I want to make sure you each get a full minute for predictions. We're talking about law firms in the digital economy, digital world, digital disruption, changing the game in every level for what law firms used to be, the expectations of their clients, the opportunities of technology, the global perspective, the customer experience. We've covered a lot. I want you to look into the crystal ball, Mr. Ahmed Shaban, and I happen to still like the year 2020 because I'll never forget how Baba Wawa used to say it, 2020. I don't think she says it anymore, and she probably would fire me if she knew. But my question is, 
How far in the future can you see in the crystal ball at your company, Fulcrum Global Technologies, Ahmed? And what do you see that will change even more than the change we're discussing right now at that future point? So I'm going to give you a full 60 seconds, not a second more, not a second less. Predictions, Ahmed, go. Okay. Well, first things first, I definitely think you're going to see an incredible consolidation in the industry. You're going to see a firm with 50,000 attorneys in the near future. I don't know that it's two years away, but it's certainly less than 10. So five to six years wouldn't surprise me. A lot of the firms I'm talking to now, the ones that are wrestling with change are actually bringing in outside legal executives from outside the legal industry to start to run them with like businesses with commercial discipline and they're focused on growth and M&A. So I think you'll see that for sure happen. I think the second thing you're going to start to see is how much of a role automation plays in the delivery of legal services. I mean, there's starting to be predictive modeling for outcomes of of matters and, and you know what their likelihood is uh, based on certain factors and therefore should we go ahead and settle this matter now or should we go ahead and press it forward those types of models are coming in place cognitive coaching in automation is going to take its place in, in legal and that's because the law firms themselves are going to focus on enabling the content to make that happen as they face the pressures of profitability thank you very much I love it Ari Kaplan predictions I give you 60 seconds as well go ahead Ari uh, my opinion is that, uh, that accountability will become a much greater factor in law firms in the coming years, this idea that they've been accountable for their time and accountable for their activity is now being supplemented with the need to be accountable for the kinds of actions that they're taking to support their clients, to connect better with their colleagues, and understanding that I need to get things done. In order to get things done, there need to be metrics that are built into how I'm operating. There need to be um, you know, some sort of friendly competition, some gamification. And in order to enable a lot of that and to empower that, there'll be this sort of micro-content. Ahmed mentioned some content, but you know, an ability to process content on your, on your phone, on, your, on, on some other mobile device, on your tablet, and it'd be a way for you to operate and take action outside the office. I actually developed a software tool uh, to do a lot of this, and it's shocking to me how progressively firms are using it and how excited they are to be able to leverage technology to build accountability in their organizations. I like the words leveraging accountability and excited to do it. I like I like those that pairing together. I think that is the future. Thank you, Ari. Patrice Capello, I can give you, oh, my goodness, exactly one minute. Go ahead. Sure. So I would say my prediction is just even within five years that the AMLAW 100 list of firms, top firms, will look very different. And it kind of brings me full circle to where I started um, in terms of my quote from Brian Solis. But I believe that firms who have challenged the old ways of thinking and disrupted status quo will be the ones at the top of that list. And there will be some that are on there that feel they're insulated from all of this change that won't even be on the AMLA 100 going forward. So I think we'll see um, some some of the firms that we know and love today still there because we know that they're thinking ahead and um, we'll see others that that were big drop off. Thank you very much. Drop off. Speaking of dropping off, it's time for us to do that. Thanks for the hint, Patrice. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Very grateful to my three very interesting and well-spoken panelists, Ahmed Shaban at Fulcrum Global Technologies, Ari L. Kaplan Esquire. We finally got the full name in there, Ari Kaplan Advisors, and Patrice Capello, North America Industry Lead, ProServe Industries, SAP America. Shout out to Ginger Shimp for putting together this fabulous panel. Thank you, Ginger. And to Petra Benning at SAP for sponsoring this series. You've been listening to Game 
Game Changers Radio. We have a lot more coming up this week. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.